Chapter 18 of Korean Fairy Tales by William Elliot Griffiths. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. Old Timbertop. The fairies in the Korean province of Kang Wen, which means river meadow, were having great fun when one of their number told how they played a trick on an ox-driver whom they called Old Timbertop. How he got such a strange name, this story will tell. This driver was a rich and stingy fellow who had made a fortune in lumber. He used to buy up all the trees he could. Then he would have them cut down and sawed up into logs and boards. His men would haul them away in their rough carts, drawn by stout bulls to his lumber-yard. In winter-time sleds were used, but whether it was the season of snow and ice, or of tree-blossoms and flowers, the animal used to draw sleds or carts was always a bull. For in Korea horses or donkeys do not know how to pull anything. The ponies and donkeys are too small. Not being used to the work, if harnessed, they would kick the wagon all to pieces. They can carry loads on their backs, but the bulls can do this also. So the creature with horns is considered to be the most valuable of beasts of burden. Besides, he fills the purse and makes good dinners when his owner is through with him. You can see these patient carriers, loaded with brushwood or sticks, piled so high they seem to be carrying small mountains of twigs, grass and leaves for kindlings, or with heavy logs of wood for fuel. Yet when the bull is very young, a mere baby, he has a happier time than a colt or little donkey, for he lives in the house and is the children's pet. Old Timbertop sold his logs and boards at such high prices that the poor suffered. This was because they were cold and could not afford to pay so many strings of cash for fuel. The people used to say that the old fellow would skin a mosquito for his hide and tallow. So sometimes they gave him the nickname of Skin Flay. Not many of the villagers were able to buy planks of wood, thick and heavy and strong enough to keep their pigs from the tigers, which came down from the mountains and prowled about at night in the villages. These long-haired and black-striped beasts got to be so fond of pork that even in the snow they would come, without fearing the cold or the guns of the hunters, claw up the tops of the pens and get down among the squealing prey. They might get a baby pig at once, or perhaps drag out and carry off enough of a big pork to feed their cubs for a week. All the stables and cowhouses had to be made very strong, for the tigers, when they had gone a good while without food, seemed to be hungry enough to eat a horse with all his harness on, and even a grown-up cow or ox. Yet, as a rule, no tiger cared to taste either beef or horse meat if he could get young pork or veal. Old Timbertop was not satisfied to make money at his lumber-yard only. It is the custom in Korea to plant the most beautiful trees around the tombs or in the cemeteries. 
when this skinflint heard of a family which had become so poor that they must needs sell the splendid trees which had been planted around their ancestors' graves, he sent his agents to buy the timber. These fellows would load up a horse with long ropes of copper and iron cash, coins that had a square hole in the middle, and were strung together with twine made of twisted straw. It was a heavy horse-load to carry twenty dollars' worth of coin. Arrived on the spot, after beating the owner down to the lowest price possible, old Timbertop's men would go out, chop down and saw up the grand trees, leaving only the sawdust on the graves, while the people wept to lose what they loved. In this way the landscape was spoiled, and this made many villagers very angry at such a man, for the Koreans love natural scenery, and almost worship fine trees which had made the country beautiful for centuries. But what cared old Timbertop, provided he could pile up his strings of cash and jingle his silver? In time, this hard old fellow could think of nothing else but how to get richer out of the wants and suffering of the other people. The wealthier he became, the more he wanted. Yet he did not get any happier. Nobody loved him, while many hated him. At last he thought he would make a trip to Seoul, the great capital city which every Korean hopes to see sometime. There he expected to receive honour and appointment to rank and office. Timbertop had a relative who was high in the king's service, who, he thought, would assist him, for all Koreans are kind and helpful to each other, especially when they are related. To be an officer, Timbertop knew, would permit him even to wear a gorgeously shining mandarin's hat with wide flaps or wings on it, and a long white silk coat with a big square on the breast of velvet or satin, embroidered with storks or dragons, clouds and waves. When he went out on the streets, he could strut about as if he were the lord of the universe, for he would then wear a hat so high and with such a round wide brim that he would not dare to go out during a high wind for fear of being blown away like a ship in a tempest. In such a costume he would be saluted by servants and the common people who would bow down before him because they would think him a great man. But how could he win such a position and gain the glory of it? He was not a scholar, learned in books, or in law, or a doctor of medicine. Not being a soldier either, he knew nothing of war. He could not ride on a monocycle, as a general did, drawn or pushed by four men, and dressed in a long red coat studded all over with shining metal, with a brass helmet on his head, on the top of which was a little dragon. He feared, even if he were appointed, he might fall off the one-wheeled vehicle and show what a fool he was. Nevertheless, this old fellow was so vain and full of conceit that he followed what was once the common custom in Korea. He took his journey to Seoul, leaving his family behind him to live on the cheapest kind of kimchi with turnips and millet. 
Now, the Koreans are all famous for giving welcome and showing hospitality to their poor relations, and often they do this even to tramps and lazy people. When a man becomes rich or holds a high office, he usually has around him many hangers-on. Some, we should even say, were loafers. So on arriving in Seoul, old Timbertock took up his quarters in one part of his relative's big house. There he lived a long time and was treated decently, for he always was saying soft things and making flattering speeches to his host. In fact, he bowed down like a slave when in presence of his august master, yet in truth he was despised even by the servants and the workpeople. In order not to wear his welcome entirely out, he had to make from time to time a handsome present to his patron. This steadily reduced both his income and his fortune, and while these were shrinking, his family at home suffered, so that, by and by, he received notice by letter that his business had dried up, and soon no more money could be sent to him in Seoul. While he lingered, news from home grew worse and worse. His wife was obliged to sell their house to pay debts. The next item was that she and her daughter were living in a wretched shanty at the end of the village and were no longer in society. All this time, those in Seoul, who knew that the foolish fellow was as ambitious as ever to wear the fine white clothes of a scholar or the gay colours of a soldier, declared that old Timbertop had no brains. They even jested about a pumpkin set on shoulders, or they laughed when they declared that the wood which he had sold so long had gone to his head. They debated in the wine-shops whether, if his skull were opened, pumpkin-seeds or timber would be found inside of it. So they also called him Old Timbertop, meaning that inside his skull was a wooden head, and no better than that of an idol carved out of persimmon-wood, such as were so plentiful in the Buddhist temples. Others declared that he had a real head of bone and brains, but he carried it under his armpits, as the saying was. When the fairies heard all this, they unanimously resolved to reform the old fellow, even if they had to make an ox of him. Timbertop, now poor and bankrupt, knew he must leave Seoul and go home and work for a living. When he made his final call on his rich Seoul relative, and told him he must, to his great regret, take his leave and go back to his native village, he was not well received. Being too poor to buy a present to give to his host, on whose bounty he had lived so long, he was answered coldly and told to go, and, and told to go and do as he liked. And this, after years of fawning and gift-making, and this, after years of fawning and gift-making, not a word of thanks or appreciation. Poor Timbertop was down in the mouth, and his heart was cold in his bosom. He knocked on his head with his fists to find out whether, after all, it had really turned into timber. On his way back, a big storm came on, and when he came to a village inn, 
cold wet and hungry he begged for shelter overnight the woman who kept it was the wife of a butcher who was then away from home this was an awful blow to timbertop's pride for butchers were held to be the lowest of people and they were not even allowed to wear hats like the rest of the men in korea the woman was kind to the traveller she gave him a hot supper and let him sleep in that room of the house which had the best stone floor under which the flues from the kitchen fire ran so he warmed himself and baked his clothes which were sopping wet until they were dry he was so tired that he kept on sleeping till very late next morning and nearly to the noon hour he was altogether so comfortable that to him it seemed as if he were a great man in the capital thus to receive such kind treatment waking up from one of his naps he heard what he thought was the big butcher who had come home asking of his wife in a gruff tone of voice where is that ox i must sell him this morning for it is market day he said in less than a minute more the man and his wife entered the room with four sticks which the fairies had put there a halter and a rope made of twisted rice straw besides a thick iron ring such as they put into bulls noses to make them obey their masters throwing down the iron ring and rope on the floor in a trice they had thrust the stick under old timbertop's back in a moment more he felt horns growing out of his head and his lips becoming thick as sausages his mouth was as wide as a saucer and had big teeth growing on the upper jaw a tail sprouted at his other end and the four sticks became four legs before he could quite understand just what was going on or what the matter could be old timbertop was standing on four legs and the butcher was slipping the ring through his nose oh how it did hurt it was an awkward job to get the animal out of the room and through the narrow door and some of the paper on the walls and the furniture suffered but finally when out in the open air the bull that was no other than what had been the man timbertop went quietly along to the market-place any attempt to pull his head away or to stop or run off or in any way to misbehave hurt his nose so dreadfully that he quickly quit the butcher needed to give only a slight jerk of the rope when the bull changed his gait and was as quiet as a lamb even though as an animal he was big enough to gore the man and toss him on its horns or crush him by trampling on him with his hooves if once he got angry one would have supposed that timbertop would be a fighting bull but no in the market-place he stood patiently and quietly for hours hardly even stamping when the flies began to bite oh that i had been as diligent and kept on at my honest occupation in my native village as that fly mused the bull that still had a man's memory at last there came a man with money to buy he was a drover who unloaded his pony and paid down many strings or about twenty pounds of copper and iron cash the owner put the halter in the buyer's hand 
and the new master then led off Timbertop to be sold to a butcher who lived up in his home town in the north. This fellow intended first to fatten the animal and then turn him into steaks and stewing meat. But on his way the new owner thought that, because he had made a good bargain, he must stop at a wine shop and have a drink. So he tied Timbertop's nose with the rope to the low wall which enclosed a turnip field, and went inside the shop. But while the drover's wine went in, his wits went out, and he fell asleep and stayed in the shop a long time. In fact, it was as the old song said. First the man takes a dram, then the dram takes another dram, then the dram takes the man. Meanwhile Timbertop looked over the low wall, and, yielding to temptation, pulled up with his teeth some of the plants by the roots, first chewing the green leaves, and then grinding the turnips and swallowing them. Presto! The horns drew in and shriveled up. The ring dropped out of his nose and fell with a crash on the stones of the village path. His two forelegs turned into arms, the hair and hooves became human legs, and old Timbertop was a man and himself once again. To make sure of it, he felt himself all over, pulled his own nose, felt around his back to see if he had a tail, and rubbed his head for horns. None there. He looked down and found he had only two legs. Then he swung his arms with delight at being once more a man. Well named, turn up, thou, he mused, thou green plant with a mustard-like taste, thou hast turned me inside out, or have the fairies been busy? He had hardly got these ideas through his half-wooden head, that he was on two legs and a man once more, and could think like one, then he started on the road home. Just then the drover rushed out of the wine-shop and accosted him, saying, Have you seen a stray bull anywhere near this place? Of course Timbertop, using fine language like a young man, said there was no bull in the neighbourhood that he could see or knew of, and he had heard none bellowing. Then he gave the drover a look of contempt for being so stupid, and for asking of him, a gentleman, so foolish a question. Yet after he was out of sight of the drover, he slapped his thighs, as Koreans do when they are amused at their own smartness, and went on joyfully. He kept on repeating to himself, sticks and turnips, turnips and sticks. Then a big idea struck him, as if it were a tap on a wooden drum, such as one sees in Buddhist temples. It hit his brain so hard, and so swelled his head, that his big Korean hat nearly toppled off. Immediately he put his idea into action. He returned hastily to the inn, and into the room in which he had been turned into a bull, and stole the butcher's four fairy sticks which stood in a corner. Then he hied at once over the roads towards the capital. Reaching Seoul, he went to the house of his rich relative, where he had waited ten years for the fortune and the favour, which did not come. Going into his host's bedroom, he tapped the high lord of the house with the fairy sticks, not hard, but only lightly. 
Forthwith, the man's head became horns at the top, with muzzle of thick lips in front. His hands turned into front hooves, and his legs into the hind quarters of a bull. Yet he was not entirely an ox, but only half animal and half man. Old Timbertop stopped tapping, and then went away, to await events, leaving the creature half man and half ox. He knew that soon he would be called in. When the family of wife, many sons, several daughters, servants, retainers, hangers-on, and what not, saw their master half man and half ox with horns and hooves, they were distracted. Each one had his own notion of how to get him back into human form and like his former self. Each one ran all over town and into the adjoining villages to get and call in the Mudangs. These Mudangs were the people, mostly women, whose business it was to drive out the imps and bad fairies, such as had, in this case, done the mischief. The kitchen-maid stoutly declared that Tokgabi had wrought the change upon their master. They felt quite sure of it, but the men thought that the gods of the mountains were punishing him for his sins. On the other hand, the Mudang woman said she would find out and get him back into his human skin if they paid her enough money. With drums and dancing and songs, screams, yells, and every sort of noise, the Mudangs kept up such a terrible racket that it almost deafened the family. There were several of them called in, and they knew that they would all be well paid. Meanwhile, the doctors also kept on with their awful medicines, besides rubbing, pounding, blowing, and sticking needles into the bull and burning moxa, or little balls of cottony mugwort, on its hide. Yet not a hoof or horn, not even a hair, changed. The Mudangs declared that the imps had got inside the man, and they must get them out. One fellow carried a big bottle to trap the imps and cork them in. Another insisted that they would have to use scissors and snip the skin in about a hundred places, thus making small holes to let the evil creatures out. Then they must bottle them up, lest they should get out and overrun the house and infest the whole town. There seemed not so many chances of getting well as one hare among nine oxen. But the wife pleaded that they would put off using the scissors until all other means had failed. She did not want to see her dear husband's skin made into a colander or sieve if it could be helped. At this point, when the din and the despair were at worst and had come to a climax, old Timbertop appeared. As some of the family had collapsed and lay helpless on the floor, and as all were too tired to ask questions, they at once made way for him. After looking at the patient with a face as wise as an owl's, old Timbertop solemnly announced that only one thing would save him, and that was a rare and wonderful drug of which only he knew the secret, but which he could speedily procure. Of course, the wife, sons and daughters instantly promised to give up their all, to see their husband and father himself again. So while Timbertop went out to get the famous medicine, they all fell asleep, tired out, 
while the ox-man lay over on his side resting his horns and hooves on the floor bed for in korea they do not have bedsteads that is beds raised up from the floor as for old timbertop when once out on the street he immediately began saying to himself over and over again turnips and sticks sticks and turnips going to a vegetable shop he bought a fine large turnip or turnip radish of the kind that grows in korea silvery white and about four feet long he first peeled then sliced and finally pounded it into a sauce very fine then entering the house in triumph he woke up the doctors kicked the servants awake and announced that the potent drug would soon restore their master he solemnly bade them all watch and see him do it pulling and hauling all together five or six fellows were able to get the man bull on his two hooves and two feet and then timbertop put a spoonful of the sauce on the big tongue at once a most marvellous change took place the horns shortened until they disappeared the lips thinned the mouth became smaller hooves hair and hide departed into empty air in the wagging of a dog's tail the mighty man of the house had become himself again all the doctors jugglers and mudangs packed up their impottles and medicines and with their drums flutes bags boxes and wares slunk away while the family loaded old timbertop with grateful thanks and compliments as for the master he declared timbertop the greatest physician the world ever knew he invited him to make the house his permanent home and showered upon him many gifts with plenty to eat and white clothes starched as white as snow the hats with which he presented timbertop were so big around and had a brim so wide that he used them when covered with oiled paper covers as umbrellas in rainy weather but he never went outdoors when the wind was blowing for fear he would be whirled down the street Besides this, he feared, there was still much wood in his head, which might turn into a top and spin round, if he were not careful. Old Timbertop set up a medicine office, practised among the nobility, and became physician to the king. When he visited the palace, he used a red visiting card a foot long. He had a plastron, or square of velvet embroidery, on his breast he wore a string of amber beads as big as walnuts over his ears he soon became fat with a double chin and plump fingers showing that he reeked with prosperity he lived to a good old age his family were made comfortable his sons and daughters married well and he had seventeen grandchildren before he died yet all the time the fairies claimed that they did it all they made the sticks work one way and the turnips another and they still play their tricks on the koreans especially those with more or less wood in their heads end of old timbertop